First Church Charlotte. We are in mess, uh, uh, the fourth sermon of our series about the life of Joseph, and I am looking at the example shown to us through the brothers of Joseph who must face what they have done when they come to Egypt. They must face what they have uh, they have wrought. They must face their sin. I'm going to read one uh, verse of scripture uh, here in the scripture at chapter number 22, and we will read, excuse me, chapter number 42 and verse number 21. Uh, let's all stand very quickly since it's our habit. I want to at least keep that as a touchstone. We will read this, starting at verse 21. This is the brethren. The brothers of Joseph speaking one to another, they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. So I'm preaching from this subject of dealing with our yesterdays dealing with our yesterdays. Before you're seated, fist bump your neighbor and say, I know you have lots of sins in yesterday. I need you to make some progress with those here today. We all of us have to deal with yesterday. We all of us have to deal with the decisions of our life. We all have to deal with our individual examples of silliness, error, sin, and lusts. We all have to face what we have done. Uh, One of the poets that I have read, I I occasionally read poetry. I I don't read it on a regular basis as perhaps I I would benefit me, but I I have read some, and uh, I love the work of Longfellow, and he wrote a couplet that is uh, often quoted and, and misquoted too, but it goes like this, though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. Uh, we misquote it, speaking for myself, often like this. The, the mills of the Lord grind slowly, but they grind very fine. They grind very small. Uh, the idea is this, is God does not rush to judgment, but do not think there will not be judgment. God does not hurry to rebuke, but do not think that there is no rebuke. He works in patience and he works in mercy, but he still works. The Bible has a lot to say about retribution. We say one to another, this scripture, be sure, say it with me, your sins will find you out. No one was excited about quoting that scripture. I I noticed that there was no joy unspeakable and full of glory here when I asked you to quote the scripture, be sure your sins will will find you out. Uh, Another passage from the book of Exodus. This is the manner in which uh, humanity lives. This is our spirit. style of justice while we're here on earth. A life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot. 
But the problem, as we all know and have heard, is that in a society that glorifies an eye for an eye, pretty soon most of the world is blind. Uh, We understand this principle of justice is not simply an Old Testament thing. I know in our love and celebration of mercy, and we should love and celebrate mercy, we should be, as the epistle writer told us, administrators of grace. Jesus directly compared the grace we give to the grace we receive. So we should be administrators of grace. We should love mercy one for another. I don't mind. I'm just going to preach longer. I said we should love mercy one for another. We should love mercy. We should seek to do justice. We should love mercy. And we should walk humbly before before our God. But even in the New Testament, justice is established. It's not just an Old Testament uh, principle. And, and so Paul writes to the church at Galatia in chapter number 6, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So I'm here today to tell you a truth that you probably know. If you do not know, you certainly have suspected it at times. But I want to put it at the forefront of your attention here for a few moments today. Because I want you to see something spiritually that is essential. For you to become who God would like you to become. I believe that each one of you has spiritual potential. And I believe the Lord will awaken you to that spiritual potential. This is the Joseph story. Joseph is awakened by dreams that tell him he has a work to do. He is going to lead. He is going to save. He is going to be placed in authority by God. That is an awakening and God does that with a dream. But there's a long journey between the awakening of destiny and the place of destiny. And so it is that you see this this development in the life of Joseph. And uh, at this moment, we see him in more of a judgment example. He stands, as it were, as a judge upon the transgressions of his brethren. And he, in a spiritual way, represents how all of us are going to have to give an answer for the deeds we have done in the flesh. These brethren must deal with yesterday. They must deal with yesterday. And you must deal with yesterday. And I must deal with with yesterday. Because we are all of us. Whatever else we pretend to be. Whatever else we try to convince others that we are. We are all of us a bundle of scars. We are all of us a bag of brokenness. We are all of us uh, the refugee of yesterday. What am I trying to say? You are a survivor. You are here today, and I want to say congratulations on surviving. It is not a small thing to survive. At the end of the day, survival is pretty much the whole deal, Lucille. You are a survivor. You could have been bitter over any number of things and never darken the door of a church again, but here you are. I say God bless you. We're glad you're here. 
you could have wrote down the reasons why someone offended you, and if God had followers like that, you didn't want anything to do with God, but you didn't do that, and here you are today. You are a survivor. Some of you have been through hell, H-E double hockey sticks, hell. They, it has been arraigned against you. Satan has systematically planned. The forces of demonic oppression have stood between you and your apostolic destiny. And so you have, even through it all, fought and believed and prayed and held on. Some of you have been wounded because of loss in your life. And even today, you feel the disfigurement in your spirit of what you have had to survive. And today, you would like to run with the young men and dance with the young women, but here you are, a crippled, walking, wounded. But I want to remind you, you're still here, honey. You survived. God bless you for not giving up. I said, God bless you for putting one foot in front of the other. God bless you for saying, I'm not quitting today. God bless you for saying no to bitterness. God bless you for refusing to be a victim. But here we all are, a bundle of scars, a bag of brokenness, refugees from yesterday. Hear me, some of the things you had to do to survive were your plan for survival, not God's plan. And you have been disfigured by your own necessities of survival. You have been deformed by your own necessary acts in order to survive. I would like to say that all of us always follow God's will for survival. And we get to the mountaintop, kick both heels, say in Jesus' name, watch three Because of the Times videos, and that's the end of that. <laughs> you guys don't even know what Because of the Times is. <laughs> Uh, I want you to see, it's not that simple. We survive. Sometimes we do it in victory. Sometimes we grind our way up every aisle of the church and fall in the altar and spend three months feeling sorry for ourselves, another three months gossiping about others, and finally get prayed through when we have a guest preacher. <laughs> and you today are the product of your survival. But some of the things you do today are not what God would have you to do. It is your learned habits that you developed surviving. And so you're too quick to send an ugly word back when an ugly word comes to you because you developed that surviving. It wasn't God's plan. It was your necessary efforts. To, and today you are, hear me, twisted, deformed by all the things you had to do. To survive. And so here we all are before God, broken, scarred, but we're still here. God wants to begin a process in your life of healing that is not about your physical healing, but is absolutely 100% about your spiritual healing. God wants you to find a place of spiritual 
spiritual uh, reformation, spiritual renewal, where you not simply are living out your survival toughness and your personal determination, but you are standing in his victory and standing upon his promise. How do I know he can do that? Because I've seen him heal body, soul, and spirit time after time after time after time after time. I've seen people. I thought nothing would bring them back to hope. Nothing would restore their joy, but in the presence of God, the healing balm of Gilead flows down into their heart, and they do not simply overcome. They are more than conquerors. And so here we see these brothers. They have been sowing for a very long time. And today, the day of judgment has come. It has been nine years since Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. Remember, these were the brothers who uh, threw him in a pit, plotted his murder, sold him into slavery, lied about his life to their father, washed their hands of him and thought the story was over, but the story is never really over. We must face our yesterdays. Now they have come to Egypt, and now they have come asking for food. You see, uh, Joseph is elevated by God as is appropriate. He has been where he was placed, and he has shown right living in every place, in every test, and now God has elevated him for the purpose for which he was always ordained by God to serve. And he has prophesied of seven years of a feast, followed by seven years of famine. And so he placed over the resources of Egypt. He has done what all good stewards do, and that is this. They took the plenty of today and saved against the need of tomorrow. If any of you guys are living life, that might be a pretty good uh, option for you to think about in your life. Take some of the plenty of today and save against the need of tomorrow. And so you see them doing that. And now Joseph is 39 years old and the world, this whole region of the world is in a deep famine and there is bread in Egypt. And so uh, in Canaan, Jacob, Joseph's father, hears that there is food in Egypt and he sends his boys, those boys who hated their younger brother, those boys who were so dysfunctional in their competitiveness and their willing to do murder in the name of family to please the, the selfishness and the competitive lusts of their own heart and life. Uh, they are now sent to Joseph in Egypt. They don't know they are going to judgment, but that is exactly where they are going. They have no idea that Joseph is still alive, but Joseph is very much still alive. And when they get there, they do not recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. They see the emperor, so to speak, or the emperor's man or the prime minister, you might think, the guy in charge, and they see him in his formal robes that signify the rank of Pharaoh's household. They see him in his pomp and circumstance. They see him with his court guard, and they see him uh, before the, the honor 
of the people, the, the obsequiousness, the, the honor, the bowing of the people. That's how they see him, and they never think. They never think for a minute this could be the helpless boy who begged in tears, please don't sell me, please don't sell me, please don't sell me, and they hardened their heart, and they sold him anyway. But the person who they have cast down is the person whom God has elevated. God loves to take the weak, and when he's done with them, make them mighty. And so here they are facing judgment. And the story is told very quickly. I want to uh, tell you of uh, not, not, a, not a complete uh, story because there's several pieces to it. But Joseph recognizes his brothers and he begins to test them. He begins to test them in various ways. He accuses them of treachery. Uh, when he strikes deals with them, he puts money in that, that they paid for a grain. He puts it back in their bag to see if they will just assume a mistake has been made. He, he demands they bring uh, their younger brother. Uh, they are sent there's this whole sequence of seemingly tricks, but I, I want you to see something here. The tricks that it seems like Joseph is playing, it's not about the tricks, it's about the heart. You see, what Joseph wants and what Joseph craves is not revenge, but reconciliation. In this manner, he serves as an example of our Lord. He serves as an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is not seeking revenge for our sins. He's seeking reconciliation. If you miss this, you will miss so much about what it means to serve God in a dispensation or an era, shall I say, of grace. And to take advantage of divine mercy and to be covered in the cleansing blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not seek to trick. He does not seek to revenge. He seeks to be reconciled unto you. And the point of the tests, the point of the so-called tricks, is to reveal their hearts. Because if their hearts are ready, then reconciliation is possible. But if their hearts are not ready, there is no point in trying to be reconciled. And that is why we, all of us, experience tricks, or shall I call them trials in our life and tribulations in our life. Every test you are living in and living through is not about the test. It is about the heart. It's not about the trouble. I know you're going through some trouble. I have some trouble in my life. You wouldn't be to believe it, but believe it or not, I occasionally have trouble in my life. It's not about the trouble. It's always about the heart. God could fix everything in one spoken word, but he wants your heart to be reconciled. It's not about about the trial. The trial is just a tool in the hand of the master craftsman as he works on your life. Let me ask you this question. Have you, have you guys ever prayed this prayer? Lord, whatever it is you're trying to teach me in this situation, please help me learn because I don't want to go through this again. This is, this is kind of a big deal. I know we're having fun with it, but this is kind of a big deal. You need to see every trial in your life through the perspective, uh, not of the trial, but as the one who is above it all. Oh, y'all aren't going to hear me today, but I'm going to preach like it's an apostolic church and just have an amen in my mind. It's not about your trial. Amen, amen, amen. It's about what God is doing in your life. The trial can come and go. The trial can be up or down. It is about your heart and what God is working through you. 
Are you in a painful situation? You need to find some personal time and say, God, show me what I need to learn. I don't want to go through this. I'm ready for the next grade. I'm ready to graduate from this grade in my life. Because if we do not learn and we think the trial is about the trial, then we miss the point of ever being brought into spiritual reconciliation with God. And so the tricks are not about the tricks. It is about sinners with yesterdays that are not so pretty standing before judgment and having to answer the question, is their heart ready for reconciliation with God? Joseph is not particularly interested in their physical needs. Of course, he knows they need food, but he's primarily interested in reconciling with them. Uh, This is the example of uh, mercy in all of our lives because although we are all transgressors, God's not interested in revenge upon us. He's interested in reconciliation with us. Even though we are all of us sinners, he is not rushing to judgment for us. Rather, he He is reaching in mercy for us, and he wants to see if our heart can receive divine love. Can your heart receive the embrace of God? Joseph, yes, represents the Egyptian empire, but Joseph is not an Egyptian. Joseph is not of that house in his being. He is there by his divine place, not there by his divine creation. He is of the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and his father, Jacob. And he wants to know, can we be more than just a supermarket one for another? Can we be reconciled? Or most importantly, can God put this family back together again? These are hard, hard questions that must be answered. And so you see the brothers living to face their errors. And when they are first thrown in prison, they say the text we read one to another uh, at the outset of the message, they say, the reason why we're here is because the way we have treated our brother. They are facing their errors. They are facing their sins. The first step to dealing with your yesterday is to be honest about it and to face it. That is the first thing that you must, you must do. You see... Sometimes we are tempted to pretend as though there is none or very little sin in our heart. We're tempted to live as though we could not make a mistake. We could not by any ways have a lapse of judgment. Not us. We're nearly perfect. In fact, I'm so close to perfect. If you look up perfect in the dictionary, you will see my initials right there because I put them there last time I used the dictionary. Uh, <laughs> we, we love to pretend like we couldn't make us make a mistake. Our judgment is impeccable us make a mistake. And so we love to lobby others as though we don't have yesterdays. We are an example for all, but that's not how you deal with yesterday. That is lying about who you are and it's lying to yourself about the reality of your heart. Rather than pretending it would be better to face it head on and say, we are here. I am in the current circumstance I am in because of the decisions that have brought me here. Ooh, no one was excited about that. They just, no, don't preach responsibility. That's just, 
uh, too much, too painful, a little too close to home. They said the reason why we are here is because what we have done in our, uh, to our, our brother. They are facing it. You see, why is this so important? Why do we begin, hear me church, wherever you come from, if you want to go to God and be right, you start with repentance. Yes. Yes. I'm going to say that again, give you all a chance to say amen real loud, okay? No matter who you are, you come to God and you start with repentance. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Oh, here's an idea. First, uh, all y'all suckers get to repenting as soon as possible. Do you see? We come in repentance. That is being honest about us. That's being honest about who we are, the the, the decisions we have made. We face the fact. You see, uh, the problem with the Pharisee is that when he comes to church, he is really rejoicing in how good he is. And so he comes to church and he looks around and he says, Lord, I just want to say thank you that I'm not like that tax collector sitting over there. You know that tax collector over there, he is no good. He's a dirty low down. But Lord, look how good I am. I'm thankful. I'm like you. I'm just nearly right up to me and your buds. We're pals. I'm not like that tax collector. And so the Pharisee comes to God the wrong way. We don't come to God like a Pharisee. We come to God like a refugee. We, all of us, bind up the brokenness of our lives. And we come to God and we say, I don't know if you can do anything with this, but I'm going to give it to you. And we know the Bible gives us the promise of broken and a contrite heart. He will not cast out. And so we become those who celebrate mercy and celebrate grace because we carried the scars of our life into the presence of God. And we said, first of all, we would like to say we don't deserve to be here. First of all, we would like to say this is why, church, this is why confession as a spiritual discipline is so important. We we don't practice confession in the sense of of, uh, the traditional church uh, where there is a priesthood and we go in that person represents divine forgiveness to us. We believe, as, um, as reformists do, uh, we believe in the universal priesthood of the believer. And so you don't necessarily find a representat- representative forgiveness through a priest. You go into the presence of God and you repent of your sins. But even beyond that, what we are given is we are given examples in the scripture, Old Testament and New, of having openness and vulnerability one with another. And to con- honesty about your need for mercy. Find renewal from honesty about the things you are struggling with. You make yourself weaker by pretending you don't need a savior than you do by admitting without a savior you have no hope. And so they come to themselves and the first thing they have to do is they have to confess that they are sinners. They have to face it. And so it is with your yesterday. You have to face your yesterday. And then having been honest about it, having been honest about it, you have to do something that is even beyond uh, asking or confessing it. Uh, this is this is harder than that. And so I'm going to read an image shown to us in the scripture from Joseph chapter, uh, excuse me, from Genesis chapter number 45. The Bible says Joseph could not restrain himself before all of those who were there. He cried out, everyone go out. 
He stood alone with his brothers. He wept aloud. Everyone could hear him weeping. Verse verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. You treat someone ugly really, really bad and then find out they have control over you. It is quite dismaying. They were quite dismayed. He is not interested in revenge. He's interested in reconciliation. And so you have this this moment where they are utterly at his control. They They are utterly before him. They have no recompense for their efforts and their sins. They cannot repay. They are utterly vulnerable. And he says something to them, and this is astonishing. Verse number, uh, let's see, I'm at verse number four. He calls his brother in close. He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Watch this. But now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. This is what I want you to do to face your yesterdays. After you've been honest about them, I want you to see God in the broken pieces. I know all of your decisions weren't good. And I know that not all the saints of glory applauded when you made bad decisions. I know the angels didn't dance a jig when you did that what you did. And it was kind of a hot mess. But let me tell you about my God. The saints may not have understood and the angels may not have rejoiced. But my God could say... That's all right. I'll find a way to use it. I know it's ugly. I know it's sin. Oh, y'all, 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 y'all. I know it's sin, but I'll find a way to use it. I know it's embarrassing, but I'll find a way to use it. If you have such a master craftsman he does not need perfect materials he can do stunning work with broken pieces that's the story of the church do you see I love the image I love the image and I'm almost done musicians you can come I love the image of Jesus feeding the 5,000. There's so much teaching in this, this, this moment where Jesus feeds the 5,000. But afterwards, he does this. He says, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing be lost. Most of my, most of my life of reading the scripture, I, I made the mistake of thinking in terms of that was leftovers. The Bible doesn't say uh, extras. The Bible doesn't say leftovers. The Bible says fragments. A fragment is when somebody you don't know offers you the rest of their bread you don't want a fragment you don't want to eat my wife will kiss me but she won't eat after me what's up with that it's it's no one wants to eat after you no one wants your fragments do you see this how do we know there weren't leftovers because the bible tells us that they gave out the miraculous provision as much as they would. And the Bible says afterwards, the miracle stopped. 
there wasn't tables of extras. They gave out until the miracle was done, and they stopped, and then they ate. But there were fragments. So it's like somebody taking a Krispy Kreme and and having a little bit left and saying, "Mm." (laughs) honey, Krispy Kreme ain't good enough. And Jesus teaches by saying, gather up the fragments that remain. The church is made out of fragments that no one else wanted. The broken pieces of your life. God said, I know, but I can make something beautiful out of that. He says to his brethren, don't be too down on yourself. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I want you to face your yesterday. I want you to be honest about your yesterday. I want you to pick up the broken pieces of yesterday. I want you to pick up the regrets, the shame. Yes, the errors, the sins. I want you to gather them all up. And I want you to come to the master craftsman. And I want you to say to him, I don't know if you can do anything with the mess of my life. But I suspect that if I give it to you, You can do better with it than I can. And I meant it for evil. But you have this miraculous ability to turn it into good. How do I deal with my yesterdays? I give them to the one for whom there is no yesterday. How do I deal with today? I give it to the one who is Lord over today. And how do I deal with my tomorrows? I give it to the one for whom there is no yesterday or tomorrow. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And however ugly it is, if you will see, that God's goal in your life is not revenge, but reconciliation. You will be able to bring your broken pieces in hope and joy into the presence of God and confess your mess and believe his promise and open your hands and open your heart and say, God, you're going to do something I cannot do. You're going to heal going to reform. You're going to renew. And I'm going to be changed by your love. Let's all stand all across the house. Would you step out of the chair you're in right now? Let's let's step out and come down to the front. I, I so much want to preach in a manner that it's something that you can take with you. I don't want to simply try to impress. I, I want to preach a message that is just as good on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday as it is on Sunday. And I know some of you guys have some, some work to do. Real quickly, let me make one last appeal to, to anybody who is... Uh, living with the damage and the detritus of yesterday in your life and you really can't get to who you want to be because of who you've been I want to tell you today I am a ambassador for grace and I am a spokesperson for mercy that's my job (laughs) 
And I want to tell you, there is one. There is a bomb in Gilead. There is a healer in Israel. And if you just can package up all those scars and bundle up all those broken places and take him to God, it's like a, a, a lamb has been ravaged by wolves. And the only thing left, this is Old Testament poetry, the only thing left of this lamb ravaged by wood, the wolves is, what is it, a couple ribs and a piece of an ear? There's not much left. But this good shepherd, that's all he needs to work with. And he can take the pieces of who you've been Beautify them through grace to allow you to be who you are destined to be in him today and become what you are destined to be for him and through him tomorrow. If he's done that in anybody's life, would you turn this whole house into praise and worship for him? shouldn't be in the church because of your past. God's going to tell you you should be in the church because of your past. And so the church is going to side with God and say you should be in the church because of your past. You've already tried that. Why don't you try the promises of God? You've already survived that. Why don't you try the blessings of God? Amen. Amen. Today, today is lesson four of first steps if you have not taken for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to support our efforts, text GIVE to 704 445 5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.